0: This is Father Aaron with another podcast. On the feast of the dedication of Saint Michael, often called Michaelmas, we have an opportunity to reflect on the threefold duty of Saint Michael the Archangel to defend the heavens, to defend the faith, and to defend the dying. For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High, Jesus Christ. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. Each Sunday, and on all the feasts of the Church's liturgical year, we join in singing the great hymn of doxology, the Gloria. It is the hymn of the angels, intoned over the hills of Bethlehem 2,000 years ago on Christmas night and then later elaborated on by devout Christians into an esteemed part of the treasury of the Catholic liturgy. But it is also a profession, a sort of creed, in the unity and divinity of God. L'adamus te, we praise you. Benedicimus te, we bless you. Adoramus te, we adore you. God is the only being worthy of praise, blessing, and adoration. This is summarized in the first commandment of the Decalogue, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt have no gods before me. And so in the Gloria, situated properly in the early part of the Mass, we focus our adoration and praise in the Mass on he who is the only fitting sinner of all devotion, on God himself. And we sing and therefore profess, For you alone are the Holy One, you alone are the Lord, you alone are the Most High Jesus Christ, with the Holy Spirit, in the glory of God the Father. In some ways, this profession is an elaboration on the early Christian creed, Jesus Christ is Lord, or the Hebrew name Michael, which we translate literally as, who is like unto God. St. Michael, in one of his many roles, takes on the task of defending the unity and divinity of God. It is only God who deserves our praise and adoration. His who is like unto God counters Lucifer's pride, non serviam, I will not serve. And so in St. Michael's first role, we see him as the one who directs us to worship God, the defender of the heavenly realm. But his tasks are not limited to heaven. St. Michael has a particular affinity for the defense of Christians, especially in his defense of the church. In 1886, Pope Leo XIII composed the prayer of St. Michael the Archangel and ordered it be included among the prayers after low mass, an order which continued up until 1964, though the prayer was never suppressed for public use. Pope Leo, recognizing the church facing the loss of its temporal and worldly power, urged Catholics to invoke the intercession of St. Michael to defend the church, particularly from the attacks of the secular world. Especially so that the Church would not become infested with secular and modern thought. In recent years, in light of the scandal of clerical sex abuse, Pope Francis has heard urged all Catholics to pray the Prayer of St. Michael often, especially in relation to the Holy Rosary. Even several American bishops have reestablished the practice of praying this prayer after parish masses. In a world which continuously puts forth so many other possibilities and obligations before the things of God, the profession, was like unto God, is needed now more than ever. Families should be taking up this prayer as a daily act in the home. This past year, as I taught at Our Lady of Lords in Greenville, I insisted my students memorize this prayer and pray it often in class together. For as Christ the Lord teaches us in tonight's gospel, the angels are always looking down upon us to defend us. We should not shrink from calling upon them, and most especially from St. Michael, whose mission is to defend the church from the temptation to secularize. In the gospel, our Lord warns against those who would scandalize the faithful, here illustrated by a child. He says, He that shall scandalize one of the little ones that believe in me, It were better for him that a millstone should be hanged about his neck, and that he should be drowned in the depths of the sea. The church, historically, has had a very strong response to those who would provide a scandal to the faithful. Even in her laws, she continually urges that anything be avoided which would scandalize the faith, which would hinder the faith. Of course, when this church speaks in this way, she is not speaking about hiding crimes to avoid public scandal. The true and the worst scandals are those things which hinder true Christians from trusting the church and her teachings, which move them to doubt. And when members of the church urge us to secularize, to accept the ways of the world as our own, we bring on great risk of scandal. And this is done both in our practices, that is, the way, that is in the way the church is governed, and also in our beliefs. We can never allow the world to dictate how we believe or act. The complexities of worldly problems do not speak of God, who is the most simple and most unified being. who was like unto him? Christianity is a lot more cut and dry than people would think. The world tries to present everything as a gray area. There's this shade, which could be sinful, this hue, which could be virtuous. But Christianity presents one truth, Jesus Christ, to the most simple of all truths. Who is like unto him? The greatest scandals come when we attempt to take worldly thought, and inject it into the faith. We will write entire books trying to explain how gender theory, for example, can fit with the simplicity of biology. Christ is teaching us in the gospel this evening that the truths of the faith are not complex realities, and they are not meant to be. Sure, they can be developed in explanations of the truth, this is the work of theologians, but at its basic level, something is true or it is not. The simplicity of children is all that is required. What a scandal, therefore, that we have priests and bishops today trying to propose new, inventive, and complex solutions to crises in the Church, who twist and turn and bend whatever way they can to try to force their desired outcome into a seemingly Christian mold. But the mold of Christ is simple. His yoke is easy, and his burden light. And so what a patron we have today in St. Michael, calling him often, especially for the Church, and especially for the Holy Father and for bishops. In his defense, we need these days. It is his defense we need these days. St. Michael's third task is less well-known, especially to the modern liturgy. For centuries, the Church associated St. Michael with the defense of souls, both in the moment of death and in purgatory. In the Requiem Mass in the extraordinary form, St. Michael is invoked. O Lord Jesus Christ, King of glory, deliver the souls of all the faithful departed from the pains of hell and from the bottomless pit, Deliver them from the lion's mouth, that hell swallow them not, and that they fall not into darkness. But let the standard-bearer, Holy Michael, lead them into that holy light, which thou didst promise of old to Abraham and to his children. Surely it is at the moment of our death when we need his defense the greatest. The profession of Christ on the lips of a sinner at the moment of death can make an eternal difference. And so in our prayers for the dead, we should also invoke St. Michael and invoke him often, his great protection, defending us from the temptation to doubt, and inspiring us to profess our love of God. Laudamus te, benedicimus te, adoramus te. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening in today. If you like what you hear, please go on iTunes and leave a good rating. Also, tell your friends and family about it. And visit the Diocese of Jackson Office of Vocations website to find more great content. jacksonpriest.com That's jacksonpriest with an S dot com. God bless.